looks like we've got uh, got the the full complement on. Uh, we've joined by this morning by uh, actually Logan Berry, Colin Berry, and uh, Dangerman. I noticed both of them got their their mics muted. Well, that'll come off in a moment. How are you this morning, guys? I am doing splendidly, Ardate. How are you? Yes, I'm traveling traveling well. I'm actually in a different location the, this morning. I'm uh, celebrating my wife's 60th birthday, and we decided to travel a bit further down the peninsula to, to Cape Schenck and uh, have a couple of days at a, a hotel down here. That's very good. I'm actually um, I'm away from home at the moment too right now, although I'm just down at uni and uh, enjoying, ready, ready for a nice little talk today about all our good topics. How are you, Danger? Uh, this morning. Oh, oh, he, well, he's just he's, he's possible. Yep, yeah, he's Danger Man's jettisoned. just dropped off. He's jettisoned. He may well be having to reset something. Look, that's that's fine. Sometimes we have a little bit of a uh, an, an error. We'll uh, we'll come back on with Danger Man in just a, a moment. We've got him got him back in here. We'll see how it, it goes. If we have any issues anyhow with uh, with uh danger man then we'll we'll just uh proceed and he can sort it out in the the background but uh when he comes on we'll have a see how he's, back. he's you're okay. back now thank you oh. for uh thank you for oh sorting your, yourself yeah. out oh. how, how how's your week been danger uh now i've had a chaotic week it's been very very different this week and um yeah but anyway it's all behind me uh managed to Win a best dressed award at an eighties party last night for my flock of seagulls outfit. So, uh, <laughs> <back>. <laughs> right to, yeah. where did you and manage put, to find hair gel? Oh, look, to, trust me, it cost us about sixty bucks to, to do it all properly. It wasn't just gel; we had to get colouring and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it took me two, <laughs> two washes to get it out. Mm. <laughs> anyway, we're flying in the danger household at the moment. Oh well, it's <laughs> it's dedicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was dedicated actually. The, the the big crisis was the fact that just before we left, my daughter said, "What am I getting for tea?" So I had to fly her to Safeway, and uh, I wasn't really prepared to to go out looking like that just out of the <laughs> local woodies. But anyway, <laughs> been and done. So yeah, thanks for having me on again. <laughs> look, my pleasure. All right, look, let's get into it. Good morning and welcome to Talking Ozpol, the official podcast of the Australian Politics subreddit. It's the 11th of December 2022 and today we're joined by Logan Berry and Dangerman. Uh, we've got a lot of topics today and if we don't get through them all, we'll likely talk about them on next week's show unless something uh, else comes up and takes their place. The topics today, and we'll, we'll go through them in this order, are Labor gets its workplace changes passed, Australia and the United States vow to increase military cooperation in the Pacific, Sydney climate change protests are sentenced to eight months jail, Federal Parliament overturns a 25-year-old ban on euthanasia laws in ACT and Northern Territory, and Greens want new rules for uh, land uh, Greens want new rules for landlords. So the first place, first topic, the Labor workplace changes. <clears throat> now Labor has delivered on this and deserve credit for it. There's a number of aspects to it, such as uh, multi-employer bargaining, job seeker deal pay secrecy, flexible working, and uh, fixed-term contracts. So there's a bit to, to cover in there. Uh, look, let's start off with uh, you, Barry. See what you uh, have as your opinion on these workplace laws. 
Yeah, well, as you as you did say, it's again, it's it's this goal kicking for Labor. They've they've made all these promises going in to the election. I know we we talked about during the election that they didn't have too many policies on the board, and and there was this idea that we didn't really know what they were going to do. But but they've had these these kind of policies, and they've been really kicking them through the year. So you you've got to see it as a massive win from Labor. Um, the kind of angle I've been interested in while researching this was um, it's it's still getting quite a lot of pushback from uh, your more progressive left places. So obviously the Greens were really trying to get some amendments through. Um, if either of you guys know Jacobin as well, I was reading they, mm. they had a not so nice article um, on the workplace laws, fairly well slamming them um, for progressive, despite the fact that these are, you know, it's Labor. These are progressive Labor laws. Um, but obviously they, they didn't think they went fair enough, far enough. That that was their main objection. The how far they they went. Um, what what? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, that they rolled back. Um, it's it's a lot of talk on the the boot. The better off. Uh, I forget the exact acronym for it. Um, the, the boot test that they use. Yeah. Um. So there was a lot of objections to rolling back some of the protections around that. Um. And also the idea of hypothetical workers was uh, an issue. They're talking about how that it makes it easier for companies under this new agreement to kind of pawn off um, casual workers if they didn't have any beforehand to say, all right, we don't have any casual workers. We don't really have to worry about them in this agreement. And then as soon as they get the agreement passed, they then just go and hire a bunch of casual workers. So there were uh. some protections I thought that I saw um, that were missing and were being rolled back, but then there were some other ones being strengthened. So I'm, I'm very mixed on it. Um, but for labor themselves, from a critical point of view, it's a goal. Like they've kicked it, they've done it, they've got it through. Yeah, look, I'd agree on that. What, what about you, Danger? We'll get into a couple more details. Yeah. But what do you What do you think? Oh, look, uh, credit to them. For they said they were going to do it, they've done it. And they said they were going to do it before Christmas, I think, as well. So uh, mm. that was one of the big policies they took to the election. Um, they've uh, managed to get it through. I'm not going to profess to be an industrial relations expert by any means because I find it, when I read through them, there was parts of it that are, I was struggling to understand for a start. Um, there was... Uh, it's interesting what Logan Berry says that the, the far left or the left has sort of pushed back against them as well because you've also got the, the business, not many of the business groups have been singing the praises of them. So it must be kind of very sort of centrist policy, I assume. Uh, there was a couple of bits in there that I, I did not understand how they may work in practical terms. Um, Fixed-term contracts uh, are for yeah. no more than, yeah, two, two years max, no more than two of them. If they're like obviously a year each, uh, that that intrigued me. What happens if you just decide to? I never saw this explained anywhere. Like, so I put someone on a contract for a year, put them on for another contract for another year. The job's still there. I want to keep it as a contract job. So, does that individual then just lose their opportunity? Like, can I start afresh with uh, with another worker and start them on their two years of contract? Well, um, I, I wondered there too about the unintended consequences of that. I, I, I was, there was an, an article in the ABC News on the 2nd of December by Tom Lowry, and that's where I sort of got a, a, a bit of an overview from that. I was confused too about those fixed-term contracts, but the sentence in there that, that sort of bothered me was uh, that Labor hoped this would encourage uh, employers to put people on uh, on permanent Places, yeah, and this is why sometimes we, we this po policies like this or, or, or um, you know, reform like this ha can have 
significant unintended consequences. So we need, really need to see how it works in practice. There's another interesting one that they've um, put in there that an employer can't um, unreasonably refuse a request in relation to, to carers leave and stuff like that. Now, if you look mm. at that as a sentence, that sounds absolutely fine. You know, of course, if it's not reasonable, it shouldn't be allowed to occur. But um, in my experience, you know, some, you know, that's, that's, that could have significant consequences as well. Like, taking it at its, its worst, um, you could be employing people less likely to be in a situation where they might be needing a flexible workplace. If yep. you can un- get, get what I'm s- trying to subtly get at there. Well, um, I, I, I do. I think, in fact, I think it's uh, having ages ago been in the uh, having to em- employ people for the, the, the company that I, I worked for. Uh, you can say that there's all these rules that you need to abide by. And I'm not saying that I ever broke any rules at, at all. Let me make that perfectly clear. But the reality of the situation is that you interview somebody you do glean some information from them, and then when it's just you and the other person deciding on whether or not you're you're putting somebody on, uh, you start to discuss the reality and are they going to fit in with the the team? Are they going to be an issue? Are they going to be a, a problem because of of commitments? Those things do come up, and like it or not, it's like putting up a sign saying "Don't walk on the grass." It doesn't stop people walking on the grass. That's mm. the reality reality of humans, and. I'm with you. I think there's. I think the unintended consequences of that could have a, an impact on a lot of people. Yeah, and I, I won't. I won't lie. The multi-employer bargaining. I, I borderline don't understand. You know what I mean? Like I thought, if you're doing a multi-employer bargaining, you're virtually launching towards doing a, an industry type bargain. In which case, fair work should be all over it, like a rash anyway. Mm. So, but. I've never been a member of any major unions and or been involved in that process. I just look, my simple is just props to Labor. They said they'd do it, they'd do it. Um, it's, yeah. it's such a large um, reform that not everyone's going to be happy about it, um, as Logan Berry mentions. And um, I think we'll sit in a year or two's time and, and review it and see whether they got it right or not. Yeah, look, that'll be the proof. That'll be the proof of the, the pudding, how, pudding, how it goes. Uh, was there any particular details, Barry, that uh, s- s- stood out to you? Yeah, I was just going to say, as we were discussing, um, kind of tentatively discussing around discrimination in, in those sorts of areas, I guess. Um, sorry if there are any birds as well. I am outside at the moment. Yeah, it's been quiet. And then he just happened as soon as I unmuted my mic. Um huh. What I, I, I'd like to, to note that there is um, what's kind of been left behind the discussion because a lot of the discussion is around this multi-employee bargaining, um, the fixed-term contracts, that stuff. And rightfully so, I'd say that's the main point of it. But there is a lot of anti-discrimination stuff coming in with this. In fact, is it not called the Anti-Discrimination and Human Rights Legislation Amendment? Or is that... Oh, maybe that's different. I'm just trying to read it on here. Um, but, like... We, we've got to note that there is a lot of changes coming to anti-discrimination laws and um, 
uh, human rights laws as well around in the workplace and workers' rights, which, again, that's kind of like putting a sign up to not walk on the grass, and we'll have to see how effective the sign is. Maybe it's more of a chain link fence than a sign, and it'll do its job a bit better. But it's, um, it is important to note, it's not just we, we've got these very important um, workplace laws changing, um, but then we also have these discrimination laws uh, and a strengthening of existing ones coming in in the article. And I just don't think that's been mentioned as much in the in the media and in the talks around it. So I just wanted to make sure that one got there too. <laughs> yeah, look, I, the, uh, I think there was one of the concerns that was raised by uh, business groups is the in regards to the multi-employer bargaining was the concerns about the complexity when you're trying to strike a bargain across businesses that are for all intentional purposes uh or intents and purposes separate entities who just happen to be in the same area the complexity of managing that and the other one which i think is a, a genuine concern is getting roped into agreements against their their wishes you know what how the the mechanics of how this is going to work if you if you have a sector uh, well, let's let's say let's say the let's say fast food sector which is going to have everybody from uh, McDonald's and Hungry Jacks through to your, your local chicken and kebab shop uh, you hang on I'll, I'll give a qualification there if it's less than 20 people they are excluded and there's exclusions for less than 50 but uh, the, the point is if you have a majority of those businesses that you've got nothing to do with agreeing to something, and then it has to get enforced on on you. I'm I'm just worried about the uh, the, the fairness of that and the reality of that. I mean, what is it going to be? A fifty one percent majority? Is it going to be who's actually going to be representing these businesses that don't work together anyway? I I'm not sure how the practicalities of that are going to go. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and interestingly enough, you raise hospitality businesses. You know, they're not even represented by a particularly strong unified union and there's about three different awards for them as well mm-hmm. like if you run a small hospitality thing and you can go with the fast food industry awards or the takeaway awards and there's i think a restaurant one as well or, or hotels one um it's just it's quite interesting pretty complex um just one real tangential thing to say here is that uh, on the sub and, and a lot of other subs when when we come up about uh, wages and um you know, wage growth and mm-hmm. wage fairness. One of the things that pops up quite often is the amount of businesses that get away with paying cash and, and lower levels of cash than they do. And it's right throughout the hospitality industry, as we all know. Mm. Um, I can't have help feeling like maybe this was the opportunity to start trying to turn their mind to that as well. Um oh. That's, that's, that's cynical. You, 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 are you suggesting that government might be looking at another way to to get more tax dollars out of people? No, no, no. <laughs> well, look, put it this way: I have been a long proponent of the fact that uh, they estimated the cash economy in Australia at somewhere around twenty billion dollars, and I'd be buggered if they've got anywhere near half what it is. I see it in the real world, and it's just enormous. Um, unfortunately, that neither side of politics are going to ever have too much interest in that because there's a lot of it flows through the sort of you know trade-based voters and there's a lot flows through business-based voters so i'm not sure that would be popular policy to take to an election Mm -hmm. um but 
um, I do think that we need to try and look at that particular industry at some stage because it's it's like the it's like the farming industry. It's one that people do, um, and it's, it's a real thing. There's a hell of a lot of exploitation occurring in it, um, and uh, it needs to get cleaned up at some stage. Look, and I, I, I suppose. That... Go on. No, I did apologise for being a bit tangential there. That's probably taken both of you a little bit by surprise. It just popped into my head, sadly. No, it's, no. it's actually interesting because I was going to put in a little bit of anecdote in that. In um, as a uni student who makes a lot of friends with international students, the amount of conversations I've had about what the Fair Work Commission is, what they do, and how to contact them after they oh. tell me what they're getting paid at the restaurants they're working at. Um, is ridiculous. It's like yeah. I know some international students I've had conversations with that are getting paid like $13 an hour in cash. Yeah. And they're like, is that normal? I'm like, no, not even yeah. close. And it's terrible. Yeah, 100%. And, and look, they shouldn't have to be contacting the Fair Work Commissioners individuals. The government knows, every government knows that this has been absolutely right. I mean, it's their obligation to start looking on it in my opinion, rather than just, you know, thousands of people are being exploited. Um, anyway, that's my rant for the day. As a business owner who um, pays above award rates, mind you, um, but $13 an hour is just for an adult. The, the award rate in fast food industry is about $32 an hour for an adult at the moment. Oh. Um, wow. A, wow. That's even, even, allow, even allowing for... Yeah, not paying tax and a whole lot of things. It, it doesn't come anywhere near to being reduced to 13, 13 bucks. No. Can I just point out one thing? There, there is a temp, look, it's a benefit to some people. Like we have people who work full time that, you know, work for us and they want cash. Right? So, so mm. there is a part of that sector that um, prefers it as well. There's also a benefit to the business owner and, and some people I know would do it purely and simply because of the amount of red tape. Like if you have someone who's a very casual who works with you for one or two or three times and mm. goes on the books, you know, then you're back to group certificates and superannuation and just you know, too much red tape to, to bother with a three-shift worker. Um, but yeah. I don't think that's the Loganberry ones. They're not. They're working all year round for those uh, wages type thing. It's just an interesting industry because I'm involved in it. Yeah. Um, anyway, Andrew. yeah. Look, you're right. The, the 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 red tape does the red tape does impact significantly. People forget that when they come up with all these these wonderful ideas of what employers should or shouldn't do. Somebody, usually the employer in a small business, is adding an extra workload to themselves that that night when they they come home after they've tried to squeeze in a bit of time with their family. Uh, it's yeah, you know, it's another fifteen or twenty minutes a night just because of someone's wonderful idea of what they believe equity to be. But um, yeah, th there is also yeah. two 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 sides of it. There, there was another thing that uh, came out of this that was speaking of tangents and aside uh, was David Paycock uh, and the job seeker deal. He was one of the ones who who pushed. Uh, getting the job seeker deal which is when the when the budget comes around annually uh, i think it was two weeks before the the budget there is a review of the job seeker payments now it's not binding on uh the government of the time but it will be it will be there it'll be a focus 
uh, it'll be something that will have to be publicly denied. So he managed to get that job seeker deal in as part of his support for this uh, this workplace changes. And I suppose my my side is it's interesting to see uh, Pocock once again sort of popping up, bubbling to the the surface. He's he's striking me as uh, one one of the uh, one of the more successful independents we've we've seen in a while. Yeah, good good on him. Um, we'll just point out one thing about that job seeker payments. Not just job seeker; it's also the pension and um, I believe the DSP, etc. So it's uh, sorry, you're correct. Yeah. Yeah, so we've referred to it as job seeker because they're the ones screaming out for it, but there are others affected by it, oh, a lot of others affected by it as well. And correct, Pocock, look, let's face it, he uh, got in with high hopes. People want their independence to to be able to, you know, shine at the time. Good on him. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Barry? You see, uh, how's Pocock looking to you? Is interesting. I was going to bring it up if um, if we got to it that uh, two of our stories heavily involve Pocock, of course, um, the job seeker where he was, or uh, just in general the workplace relations bills where he was uh, quite a force. Um, but then also the territory uh, euthanasia yeah. bills. Um, you know that's a very big win for him. It was him and I'm trying to remember the I think it was the Tasmanian Independent. Uh, no, I can't name her. Um, but you know they they were pushing very hard for these um, uh, changes. Sorry, Northern Territory, not Tasmania. Um, uh, they were pushing very big for these changes. And I guess from Pogo's point of view, and it's it's kind of a point to independence that they've got to make a name for themselves. They don't have the for for the kind of less politically engaged voter. They can't rely on a party that uh, uh, that you know everyone knows. They've got to make the name for themselves. They've got to do these big things and and really provide momentum, which I think is a good thing. You know, sometimes those are going to be bad. Mm. They're going to be terrible ideas and sometimes they're going to be good, but at least they're doing something. At least he has the motivation to need to make a name for himself and, mm. and like continue that notoriety or yeah. famousness, I guess, uh, depending on how you like his changes. Um, so I think he's doing good. Yeah. I, I mean, out of all the independent senators, David Pocock's the one I'm hearing the most. Um, yeah. You know, previously it was yeah. probably Monique Ryan, um, but I guess that was yeah. because of her opponent rather than her herself. Um, oh, she deserves, she yeah, deserves David, some credit. Yeah, yeah. well, she had um, that, that very nice speech during the uh, censure as well, which was where she picked up some some more name power. But And then Helen Haynes, of course, with uh, the knack. But um, I can't fault David Pocock. Yeah, he seems like he's doing pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a, it was an, an interesting uh, standout. Well, look, from the uh, battle between employers and employees, let's move to another battleground or potential battleground, or let's hope not potential battleground of the uh, Pacific. Australia and the US uh, increased or announced plans to increase military cooperation. At this point, they're only plans in inverted commas, so we'll uh, wait to see what, what happens. However, it seems like Australia continues to become more entrenched as a US military base. Uh, I missed the name of the uh, US, I don't know if he was a, a, a general or uh, the, the representative there, talking about the plans for uh, putting more fighters, more bombers and rotating and rotations of army and navy capabilities into Australia, in other words, ramping up their involvement here. 
I'm wondering too whether the US and Australia are in, a, in, a compl in complete sync on their mindset over China. Part of this, and it's telling when diplomats do or don't say something, but part of this is in the meeting, the US named China as a threat, but Australia specifically didn't name China. Now, what uh, let's, let's start with you first on this one, Danger. What's your opinion on the <coughs> geopolitical ramifications of these military machinations? Um, first and foremost, when I saw this coming through as a topic, I had to put another qualifier in. When, when these sort of things happen, like everyone's an armchair expert, but diplomacy and particularly military diplomacy, honestly, we, we wouldn't even know any, wouldn't know. 99% of the information they may, may be basing their decisions on. Yeah. Um, I, I get concerned by if, if America thinks China is a military threat, then, you know, we have to take that so seriously. It's not funny. You know what I mean? Like, if let's face it, if China and the States are going at it, we're basically talking World War Three. Yep. Um, so if the US are privy to information that they think that that's a, a possibility... Um, they've shared it with our government, and uh, mind you, I wish we'll get. Yeah, sorry, they've shared it with our government and say, look, we need to do this for this reason. Then I sadly trust the people in charge of making those decisions to um, believe it may be the right decision. Now, that the, the the easy answer to that is it entirely conflicts with uh, weapons of mass destruction and a war that we got dragged into that we shouldn't have been in. Um, so it, 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 when you have these sorts of decisions being made by by our governments, us in the US, um, it also gets bathed in a history of um, military cooperation that may or may not have been the right thing to do. I, my gut feeling is that if anyone thinks that China's dead set serious about trying to expand beyond their shores um, in a forceful way, then we all need to take it rather seriously. Yeah, look, that, I can I can understand that point. I'm, I'm you know, very, very strongly opposed to, um, to, to, to war. I haven't seen any indication that the US has any real credibility when it comes to uh, it comes to their uh, it, it, intelligence or their propaganda about uh, what has led them into a, a number of, of, of wars, their involvement in Yemen, Iraq, Libya, you know, destroying Libya. Uh, yeah, they're they're still they're still in, in Syria, in Somalia. They they've just got very low credibility, in in my opinion. However. More than one thing can be true at the same time, and they can be hopeless liars and propagandists on that side, but also correct about China. So, again, your comment that we don't really know the information is correct. I remain dubious about the US, but I do take your point that if it is a real threat from China, then I can understand the need for action. I suppose you, you and I are a bit older, Danger, so we've got uh, some perspective of, of of what's gone before, with you, Barry. Uh, you know, you're you're more of a younger younger bloke. You're sort of a little bit more politically astute. But what's your opinion on this agreement with Australia and the US? And if you can just give us a bit of a an, an idea of what people around your age group 
uh, might be how they might be viewing it as well. Yeah, so um, just for those reference, because I've told our date my age, I am 20 and uh, at uni, so I was actually born uh, after 9-11, for instance, um, about yeah, a year yeah. after, a oh, little less than a year. Um, so I just, first point I wanted to make that I just kind of found interesting, it's not completely uh, linking, but the fact that this uh, this talk about um, Australian military build-up and U.S. relations, and also China in the AUKUS Pact, if you guys saw some of the discussion around that, um, is coming a week after, or a week and a half, two weeks maybe, after the uh, Julian Assange push from Anthony Albanese, which is certainly something that uh, strains uh, Australian-U.S. relations, as it is a topic that's safe to say the U.S. feels very passionately about, um, uh, Julian Assange extradition. Can I just interject there? I can't remember who yeah. it was, but uh, there was three major news outlets in the United States actually raised uh, dropping charges against uh, Assange this week. And I'm talking CNN and... Um, oh, can't remember them. They were all big names. Uh, uh, New, York were, Post, uh, New York Times, I believe, was was one of them. And uh, uh, there was a third one, which is sort of think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they said it, but it's a little bit too much too, too little too late in in some ways but take a win where we can get it yeah but he does have his allies there and, and quite yeah so them. okay well um i'll rephrase them there let's say it's a issue that the u.s government feels very passionately yeah, about correct. and has for a very long time in the in the u.s intelligence uh society as for people my age um i don't know i uh, you know it's it's interesting because there's a particular added bit of nuance to it where when we talk more about um you know military age males specifically um mm. i'm very aware of that fact um i have a brother in the military and i'm uh, also currently going through the process to join the australian defense force at the moment so it's something that's very much on the top of my mind um look it's not exactly a major point of conversation uh, people do joke about it they're scared about it from time to time um i i think it is important to put into perspective that the danger is in in you, you know your weapons of mass destruction, which you would hope in any sort of proxy war get, wouldn't get used. But um, it's important to put in the scale of the U.S. military and the Chinese military. While the Chinese military is nothing to laugh at, and and one on one we would not compete very well at all. If going into research the U.S. military, which I've done quite a lot, it's insane it is insane how large and much money is in that thing it's ridiculous like the reality is the u.s military i I, I whether the motivations of them is correct um it's just the the ability for them to execute whatever they decide to do um i feel very safe (laughs) Uh, yeah. Well, that, that, that's true. I mean, it is a. a the, I I heard these figures only the other day, and the U.S. military spends uh, seven hundred billion dollars. Uh, they spend seven hundred billion dollars a year on uh, their military. That doesn't include dark ops and uh, sort of off the book uh, payments. And in fact, the Pentagon for the second time in uh, this century, has failed their audit. And what's been revealed in their audit is they cannot account for a little bit over $2 trillion. It just, it's just, it's just whoopsie. 
oh, well, we'll do better next time. Now, that's the second time in two years. So this century, $4 trillion has gone to the Pentagon and no one knows where it's, no one knows where it's gone. Mm. And then, then in contrast, uh, Russia spends 90. So nine zero versus 700 odd billion dollars a, a, a year. And sorry, I interrupted you there, uh, Barry, but no, that that's, was, a, that's a very that good a, um... a figure that I'd heard. Yeah, no, that's a very good figure to put it to put it into context of, of what I'm trying to say. It's um, while China is definitely a threat and it's not something we should take um, uh, lightly. And, you know, we as a regional superpower have an interest in the South China Sea. It's something that we've got to look after. It's yep. something that to um, hold our power base that we, we have to be interested in. But I, 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 you know, you see this fear mongering, I think, a lot in the news um, and in all over social media and in people. And I just, I always kind of want to add the caveat of let's remember the scale of the two militaries we're talking about. Yeah. There is no modern force on earth that can go to toe to toe, -to -toe with the US military. Um, but again, it's what is more around debate is their motivations. Obviously, I'm not too familiar with Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan being uh, a small child when most of them were happening. Yep. Um, but looking back on it from the past, I, I'm i mostly with you guys. It didn't look like somewhere we needed to be. Um, it looked like somewhere we were only there in order to curry favour. You know, these places didn't pose a threat to us. It, we were there to curry favour with the US um, military, which, I mean, that's up to yep. the current government at the time if they decide that's something they need to do. But is it worth the, um, you know... The, the lives we lost there and the war crimes we were purported to have committed? Uh, yep. I'd say no. Well, yeah, it was, I, I, I agree. It was, it was called the Coalition of the Willing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you're 100% spot on. They even bloody named it that people prepared to go and, you know, scratch the back of the US in Iraq. Like, it was yeah. ridiculous. Anyway, uh, and look, it is, it, is, it, it is a very, uh, it, it's, I suppose it's such a grey area because there's, there's so little black and white and there's so many mixed um, views on it. For example, in the, the chat, we've got a couple of comments from uh, one of the listeners, Enoch Isaac, saying the US has sold billions of weapons to Saudi Arabia, yet now they are now considering joining BRICS. Enoch Isaac has also made the comment, the US military have spent the last 20 plus years attacking third world countries, but have lost two major wars, Vietnam and Afghanistan. And then we also have a, a, a contrast, yeah, a contrasting uh, one from, from Ben Along, uh, another one of our listeners, Ben Along, and who's also a, a guest on here at times as well, saying China have made repeated threats of military strikes against Australia over the past 10 years. So we need to take that seriously. And I, my opinion is both of them are correct. And that's why it's such a murky situation to discuss because there's no... There's no clear answer. I suppose at the end of the, the day, the military-industrial complex wins, the government wins, so two out of three isn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. When you were talking about, when Logan Berry was talking about the size of the US military, like I sometimes wonder if they weren't so big as what they were, would they have a more crippling unemployment program? To me, sometimes it just seems mm. to be, to a certain degree, um, you know, like there's been a million songs sung about where they get their, their workers in, in times of war, you know, and uh, they actively uh, recruit 
from some very low socioeconomic areas when they're sending them out. And, um, you know, that, that economically they'd be in a lot of trouble if they weren't spending that money because they'd have a hell of a lot more people unemployed as well. Uh, now, now, you can never look upon a country's military as just an employer, but it certainly has an effect on a country like the US that yeah. Um, yeah, economically got some major troubles. Yeah, exactly. And look, we're just, we, uh, as we're winding up this topic, uh, Douglas also in the chat has said in quotes, there is no modern force that can go toe-to-toe with the US. Close quotes. The Taliban has arrived. So look, from uh, things heating up in the Pacific to things heating up in the climate, our next topic was a climate change protester being arrested and jailed for eight months in prison in New South Wales. Now, Labor and Liberal both supported new penalties for activities that, in quote, shut down major economic activities. Uh, look, I'm in two minds. I support free speech and protest. However, impeding someone's free movement and earning ability, i.e. stopping them from getting to work, is arguably a form of aggression. But the part that bothers me is that the government always extends and abuses their laws and penalties, and they may end up corrupting the definition of major economic activity. So, look, I'm, as I said, I'm in two minds. Uh, start off with you, Barry. What's what's your opinion on the climate change protester uh, being given eight months? Yes, yeah, so I think I'm perhaps a bit more... Uh, liberal with her, with um, it was a female, I believe. Her actions, yes, yeah, yeah, um, Coco. Yes, yes, yes. Um, with with her actions and the reasons, um, she did it. I, I think, and I'm, I was just trying to think as you were talking. I've completely blanked on the word for um, disruptive protest, but not violent protest. And I'm trying to remember the word. It was used very heavily during um, segregation protests, and I've written an essay about it. I'm trying to remember. Mm. Can't help you. I've just completely blanked on it. Um, But I always find, I'll I'll, I'll use the word disruptive, but nonviolent protests. Um, When you have these climate protests that have happened for so long, peacefully and um, uh, further back into the past without disruption to stuff like transport or economic ability, earning ability, it it doesn't surprise me, and I don't think it could should surprise anyone else when when these aren't responded to with change, that people switch to disruptive tactics. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will will see these and think, what are, why are they doing this? This is dumb. This is hurting their movement. Um, it, it's just going to make people hate them. But you're talking about them, and that's the point. That is the simple point of it. Um, I see the point behind these kind of protests. I think these people are fed up they're just fed up with not being listened to from you know i can i'm going to assume mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd love to be correct if i'm wrong but i'd be very fairly confident in saying that miss violet coco uh has been to hundreds of rather non-disruptive protests before and she's just fed up and i i, I understand that sentiment i i don't like jailing her certainly like, look, mover, and and there are different questions when it comes to emergency vehicle access. That's where people get very annoyed, and I am 100% with you. If you have a protest that um, becomes dangerous, even by accident, then that's on you, and, and she should be facing consequences for that. Um, 
but when it comes to just disrupting, I'm perhaps a bit more lenient. I'm, I'm okay with people being disrupted, even if we tend to think that turns the public opinion against, they're, they're just trying to get you to talk about them and, and that's what she's done. We're talking about her. Yeah, yeah I can see that. <coughs> I, I, I can see that. What about you, Danger? Um, I can very touch on a great point that I, I find really interesting is, is, you know, at what stage does protest work against itself? And she's probably a, a perfect case in example i've had a couple of back and forths on the sub about that going back uh, a year or two or two ago and um it, it as, a, as a side it really interests me in relation to miss this particular um person is it violet or violent it's violet coco yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it was violet <laughs> I sped read the article i sped read the article but anyway look i put a post on the sub that uh, sums my things up uh, basically, if we've got room in our prisons for people who commit essentially non-violent acts to jail them for eight months, then uh, it's not a country that I'm overly proud of. And I'm I'm yeah. absolutely not a let them go person. Um, I just I get more appalled by violent crime, um, not being punished. Uh, yeah. I just I, I was stunned, absolutely stunned by that um, sentence. I'm not sure whether it's under appeal, and I didn't get an opportunity to see whether she had prior history. But if she had no prior history or hadn't been brought before the courts, I mean, I just don't don't see it. I think she gets a base order and a warning. That's what courts courts are there to do. In there's five different sentencing principles in Victoria, you know, and you've got denouncement, rehabilitation, etc. Um, general deterrence, specific deterrence, blah blah. That's what the way, how they run in Victoria. Okay. Um, now, what they've done in here is just uh, general deterrence and uh, denouncement have, have just loomed too large in, in that sense of progress. And so it's what, interesting what that both Labor and Liberal have, have supported it. And just, it's, mm. uh, I, I did just was looking that up. Coco's lawyers, and it is Violet, V I O L E T. Coco's lawyers have lodged an appeal against a sentence with a hearing set for March next year. So, regardless, she's going to be uh, she's going to be in in jail for at least four months. So she might get she surely gets appeal bail. But anyway, um, see what what people who don't understand what general deterrence might be or specific deterrence. If you've got specific deterrence, you're specifically trying to stop that person doing it again. So how do we sentence them like that? general deterrence is using this person as an example to stop others doing it. She has been absolutely made an example of, in my opinion. And um, Well, it says here she's been refused bail. In, in Sydney's Downing Centre local court mm. after sentencing, Magistrate Alison Hawkins refused Coco bail. Yeah, all right. Well, that's appealable. But anyway, it's appealable yeah, yeah, okay. on its own right to bail. Um, oh, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. You can go up the, you can go up the, the tree with uh, three court systems with um, even with the bail decision, every decision a court makes uh, is ultimately able to go up uh, quite discreetly to her actual sentence. So, um, yeah, anyway, look, that's how I view it. I'm stunned by it. I uh, sometimes get appalled by sentences. With hers, I was floored by it. But I don't yeah, well, look, it. We've, we've got, again, from Ben Along and Enoch, Isaac, an observation and then a question for you, Barry. Uh, ben Along has said all this sentence has done is increased sympathy for the protest protesters. It is excessive. I think New South Wales have kicked an own goal on this one. 
So we're you know, probably in agreement uh, there on that one danger. But this is a question to you, uh, uh, Barry, from Enoch Isaac. Barry, as a young person, do you think younger people can relate more because these protesters have been younger? Yeah, so I just want to point out, uh, civil disobedience. I just spent a while looking it up. It is That's the term <laughs> ah, I was looking civil for. Di- right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Civil disobedience, which I think is a tactic we are going to see and have been seeing more and more and more. Um, also, on the own goal part, uh, especially for Chris Minns, I think this is an own go who uh, came out in, in support of uh, the Liberals' um, sentencing and or, or the sentencing of her. Sorry, not the Liberal sentencing, but the sentencing of the protester. Um, so it's an own goal for him going into the uh, New South Wales state election. Um, as for relating more to protesters as a young person, yes, in certain ways, um, I'm not actually a very politically active person. I think if you found someone that was more in her in the kind of circles she would hang out with, I'm sure. But there is this kind of thought a, a, along with around young people um, that you know, we're the ones that are going to have to grow up into this world and, and continually deal with these sorts of things. So I understand why she is protesting. I understand why she is fighting. Um, and I, I kind of tip my hat off to her a bit. I'm like, thanks. Mm. I'm not going to do it, but, but thanks. Yeah. Um, I can understand and I'd, that. I'd, I'd say I can relate to her more um, just based on that fact as, you know, I'm going to have to grow up in the world that she's also growing up in now and she knows that that's where our futures are going. Can I just say one thing before we move on in relation to this, um, that I didn't read these, but you mentioned that Labor and Liberal both um, sort of uh, gave their assent to the sentence. I'm not even comfortable with them doing that. Gave their their assent to the... uh, uh, Let me find the exact thing. It wasn't... They gave their assent to the uh, laws that... um, uh, that, that saw that, the sentence that... given out. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right, sorry. I apologise. I would have thought it was wrong for for them to comment on the particular yeah. sentence, particularly. It is just, just to be exact. Tough, tough new penalties for activities that shut down major economic activity were introduced by the state government and supported by New South Wales Labor. So just yeah, okay. To... Sorry, I, I mis- misunderstood that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify. All right. From. Uh, younger people and the right to protest let's go to older people and the right to die the ban on euthanasia laws being overturned in the the territory 1997 the commonwealth uh imposed a veto on northern territory and uh act uh that was backed by that was a, a bill by a liberal backbencher at the time kevin andrews uh, on debating and therefore enacting a uh, uh, the, the euthanasia laws. Since that in, since that time, up until till recently, both Labor and Liberal, uh, Labor and Coalition parliamentarians have uh, backed the bill and blocked attempts to repeal it. With all the states having uh, voluntary assisted dying laws, the uh, environment has changed on that, and that's made it easier to repeal these these laws and allow the NT and Northern Territory and ACT to move ahead with actually implementing their own euthanasia laws. It also ties into what you were talking about before, Barry, with uh, with Pocock uh, 
uh, popping his head up uh, again. Yeah, he's ACT, so it's understandable, but it's interesting how interesting uh, Pocock is is becoming. So look, for me, it's a it's a plus. You know, the, the hubris that some stranger bureaucrat in Canberra thinks they have the right to tell people whether they can live or die is is galling to me. It's about time this control was uh, removed. Uh, what do you think, Barry? Um, I'm, yeah, with you. Uh, particularly because I think what's just as galling to me is the fact that the, you know, Northern Territorians don't get to decide these things themselves, that they, mm. they you know, lack proper representation in that area. The idea that Parliament has said um, that you guys can't decide on these own laws for your territory. And I won't profess to know the exact um, powers and reasons that these are territories rather than states, but it, it feels to me like if you're living in a territory and these sorts of laws can be in place blocking you from deciding within your own borders, then that's that's a lack mm. of representation and that shouldn't be happening. So I think regardless yeah. of whether you are pro-euthanasia or not, um, you should be pro the Northern Territory deciding to do what the Northern Territory gets to do and, and the ACT getting to what the ACT gets to. And particularly because... Um, these are generally more progressive areas of Australia, especially the ACT, um, but mm. then also the Northern Territory to a certain extent. So obviously they're going to be more likely in pushing this um, than some of the other areas of Australia. So I think it's a plus. I think it's good. It's about time. And again, Labor's smart to have let this pass. It's a big issue and it gains them some pretty big points with, their, with the crossbench, especially the independents. And I have to imagine the Greens are on board with this too. Um, so I think they're just, yep. again, it's Labor's getting, they're, they're getting stuff done. There's no other way to put it. Whether you like it or not, they're doing stuff. Yep. Yep. Look, I'd, I'd agree with that. They are, uh, they, they are kicking some, kicking some goals and yeah, kudos to them. What about you, Danger? Any opinions on this? Um, oh, absolutely pro-euthanasia. So bringing them in line with everyone else, bit of a no-brainer, I would have thought, um, Logan Berry makes interesting points about you know the governance and why they're a state rather a territory rather than a state. I, I must admit I've got no idea about that myself. But if we could uh, have a referendum and somehow get them to a state, we can get rid of those horrible "see you in the NT" stickers that uh, huh? uh, on the back <laughs> of cars everywhere. Um, huh? Now listen, I'm pro pro euthanasia. Um, we had an interesting one in. in I've been with me sometimes everyone accuses me of all roads lead to Victoria and, um, huh. and regionalisation. We had a poor bloke die in uh, regional Victoria a day before he waited three months for his euthanasia at whatever wow. uh, place he was in regional Vic and uh, managed to kick the bucket the day before he was due for it. So oh, um, hospitals, I just hope that uh, that country people, sorry to permanently bang on about this, but hope that country people are given the access to the same services as um, their metropolitan counterparts, which will be an yeah. issue in the, in the Northern Territory. Yeah. But otherwise... Just on... Oh, we all went. I was just going to say, um, <laughs> just on that, I'm, I'm happy to, to raise my hand as the um, the resident New South Welshman, um, because clearly the only two states that, that matter are Victoria yeah. and New South Wales. That's why that's, yeah. that's all our that representation true. is, because um, uh, Adit, you're down on the Mornington Peninsula, aren't you, down in... That's right, Vic. that's right. Yeah, so we've got two Victorian oh, although I'm, South I'm, Welshmen. And... By birth, I'm a New South Welshman. So, ah, but, you know, beautiful. Yeah, born, born in central central uh, New South Wales. 
I, I count yeah. myself politically as being at the absolute ass end of Australia. I'm just <laughs> glad if we ever get noticed by either state or federal government to tell you the truth. We had a bridge, a small bridge over a small river opened up on Friday and they made such a song and dance about it. Anyway, we've got some federal infrastructure money finally. Um, uh, yeah. All, all right. Get, well, get look, me we'll, off topic. Get me off topic or I'll just... <laughs> okay, well, we, we, we'll do. We'll move, we'll, move, we'll move from uh, a, a very broad territory down to uh, some localised territory and that is where people are living and renting. So our final topic for today is the Greens want new rules for landlords. Essentially, what they're wanting is a two-year freeze on rents and a ban on no-grounds uh, evictions. A rent freeze saves renters, but it does cost landlords. Um, you know, we have landlord costs are going up, inflation's going up. Uh, we have the number of available properties is at an historic uh, low. Now, it's also difficult on uh, people who are, are renting because their rents are going up, the number of properties uh, are decreasing. Yeah, me, unsurprisingly, <laughs> at its heart, in my opinion is that at its heart, it's government interference with uh, interest rates, excessive spending, red tape on building and corrupting the, the labour supply you know, via immigration, job seeker, COVID consequences that are possible causes. Now, I don't know what the solution is to this. It's no good for both sides, uh, but... It's a terrible situation for both sides, and I'm not sure that demonising uh, the the landlords, many of whom may are not, you know, these these uh, large property owners, they may only have one or two investment properties. I'm not sure that demonising landlords via this is the correct answer, but I'm not sure how best to help out the the renters. We'll start with you, Danger. What's your opinion on this? Mm, heavily invested in it. I'm, I'm a landlord. Um, yep. A very boutique property it's a big old country sprawling thing that can be best described as a share house type thing that i'm renovating um i don't give my opinions much on this uh, as a landlord i've got two kids uh, currently in the process of moving to melbourne next year and they're in the the rental search at the moment mm. um my biggest thing about that in and particularly on the younger the sub um you'll get all landlords are evil Right, but um, I tend to think that people don't sit back and think how much of a necessary evil they are. We're never going to live in a world absent of landlords. We just haven't got the ability, no matter how much we wanted to do, whether it be social housing or allow people to buy their own houses, to have everyone that when they move out of home at eight and a half um, has a house or has purchased a house. So well, landlords are here to stay. Part of me then defaults back to a situation whereby um, driving forces for rents surely are dictated by free market and supply and demand to a certain degree. So you have a situation whereby the more landlords there are, the more competitive it gets for them for tenants and hopefully rents drop. Now, I'm not saying that that's right. But all I'm saying is there are complexities to the Australian housing market, be it ownership or rentals, that um, are very, very difficult to uh, overcome. Uh, I note Albo's promised a million new homes over the next five years. 
which is certainly from his point of view and what they sort of got voted in. The Greens, I think, have said that's not enough, mind you. Yep. Um, if we look look across the ditch to New Zealand, mind you, Adern got voted in promising a hundred thousand new homes every year for ten years, or essentially a million new homes, but they only built uh, three hundred of them prior to COVID hitting. Uh, that's a, a little sneaky, very very ambitious, um, very ambitious claim from Albo at the moment, and I'm going to be interested to see uh, how he goes with it. And it's not just the cost of it, but but at the moment, uh, the labour and um, materials, etc., particularly the labour, you know, to get a million homes built um, is going to be difficult for him to achieve, in my opinion. The, yeah. uh, I don't have a big, I don't have a big problem if they freeze rents, if they think it's going to help to two years pause. Yes, the cost of landlords are getting skyrocketing. Um uh, yeah, so I don't have a problem with it. Do it. Let's see if it works. Um, I, I just think this whole whole um, issue is is not as simply solved as what uh, the Greens have proposed here. To no. tell you the truth. No, um, look, you're right. You could you could certainly you could certainly do a uh, a, a test. Uh, you know, you would hear people justifiably get concerned about a two year freeze. So maybe the maybe the answer is. Uh, you know, a, a one-year or a two-year freeze in just say one city in one state. For example, let's let's freeze the the, the rents for one year in Melbourne and actually do a, a bit of A/B testing. Test test it small, see if it works before saying it has to be an all-or-nothing approach. So, I do agree with you that that's a a possibility. Um, as we're, as we're, I, I think, yeah, I was going to say. Sorry. If you can, uh, give me your opinion, Barry. Just as we're moving towards the uh, end of the hour. Yeah, well, um, that's very commonly used tactic in policies is to compare two similar cities um, and, and see how they uh, certain policies affect them. I think that would result in some very annoyed Sydney-siders, um, <laughs> me being one of them. <laughs> if we freeze right just in Melbourne, that's fair enough. Um, look, uh, again, for resident, I guess, young person here, um, I can tell you I, I'd be pretty confident in claiming that there is no issue more important to young people than housing um and and renting it is by far the thing we talk if we're talking politics uh it's renting it's housing that is what is important uh because yeah it's bleak it's bad as someone um i get a bit better off i'm down in wollongong um where it's all right but i've a brother up in sydney and oh it's just i don't mm. want to think about it how bad it is up there um mm. I, I i would like to see some different approaches i yeah, I won't claim to know exactly how this is going to affect um, the economy. I perhaps have a worse opinion of landlords, um, although more so towards uh, your, your very multi-homes, you know, 10, 20 plus um, sort of more companies that are on them. I'd also um, like to point out for Airbnbs are becoming a bigger and bigger issue um, mm. in terms of this this lack of, of short-term housing that renting provides, which is... a I think Danger said it's always going to be reality. That's always going to be a needed um, uh, service in the economy. But Airbnbs are also contributing to this massive lack of it because people are holding them for these very, very short stays that are much yep. more expensive. Uh, and Logan Berry, in, in regional Victoria, like that's 
such a major issue. My, my town on the southwest coast has the second highest rent in regional Victoria because we're a tourist oh. town. You get more money from Airbnb than you do from long-term rental. And there's, there's places. It, it, I had Airbnb written down. I thought I'd spoken too long before. It, it's one they can actually do something about and have absolutely turned a blind eye to it. It's, it needs looking at own topic of conversation. You're well, we, we might well have that as a topic of conversation for another hour. Uh, speaking of which, we've reached the end of our hour. Logan Berry and Danger, really appreciate your um, input the, this morning. And thanks, uh, th- thanks J- Danger, for joining us. Uh, we will say goodbye. We've hit the, the hour. So thank you uh, for joining us on Talking Ozpol, the official podcast of the Australian Politics subreddit. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll see you later. See ya. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Enjoy. See you next week. Cheers.